everybody. Thanks for listening to Just the Basics. I'm Tommy. I'm Matt. And we're keeping the beat for you once a week. So our special offer that we were running on uh, Patreon just ended uh, at the time of the, so at the time of this recording it hasn't quite ended yet. But by the time it'll be published, it'll be end, it will have stopped. So I hope you guys uh, signed up to get to uh, support us there and get your free uh, guitar picks. And if you did, thank you very much. We really appreciate your support there. Mm-hmm. We will probably run something like this again in the future, but I don't know when. So you still have a chance. But either way, if you want to support us, you can go to Patreon and help us out there. We don't run any ads on here, so that's the way that we pay for the hosting and all that good stuff. So ah, anyways, with that out of the way, just had some housekeeping there, I guess we have to talk about. <laughs> Uh, this week we're going to do a song breakdown, which we haven't done before. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to talk about a song called Botplicity, which is, I, I, I really like that tune. It's, it was a Miles Davis and Gil Evans tune from the 1957 album Birth of the Cool. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty awesome tune, I think. It's very, uh, very laid back. You can play it in different different styles, but like... It's like the epitome of, of cool jazz. Yeah, yeah. I think it really defined a stylistic era from Miles. Um, right. Of course, it's talking about bebop. That's why its uh, subtext is bebop lives. So there's a lot of harsher dissonance in the melody but um, and the harmony, obviously. But a lot of it is meant to feel very laid back and to settle on that dissonance. So there's this weird marriage between the hectic, chaotic bebop style, uh, smoothing out into the cool jazz where we still have those harsher tones, but now we're, we're like embracing them in a happy, nice, relaxed way. I guess that that would be how you think about it. So miles really, started a wonderful little thing here in birth of the cool. And the, the tune is extremely interesting and inspirational. Just the way the melody is written it, it for one, when you look at it, it's, it looks chaotic, but as you play it, it starts to make a lot of sense. And Mm -hmm. the intervals that you thought were weird at first, instead of being what on earth is that? It's like, yeah, yeah, I get that. And that can feed into your improvising and train you to not just use stepwise phrasing, but to jump around a little bit because the melody does. And it kind of gives you a little tutorial on how to do that and not just mm-hmm. play all the notes right next to each other. It's like, no, you can you can do a little bit more and you can outline the chords kind of outside of the chord. You can play above and below, and around, and right in between, and (laughs) it's a bit relentless in saying, we can play whatever we want, and we're going to make it sound good. I think that's (laughs) one of the reasons that the the horns, their harmonies between them, it's dissonant for the whole thing, but it feels good. So whenever you hear it, it almost sounds like they're off key in a way, but not really. Very interesting. Yeah. They especially sound dissonant in the live version that Miles Davis has. Yeah, they probably did that on purpose. (laughs) Yeah, that one sounds really, really crunchy, which, like you said, is not a bad thing. It just is unexpected. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing kind of interesting about this song, Matt, I don't know if you knew this, and uh, I didn't do research that in depth, but according to Wikipedia, which... I actually have had good luck with Wikipedia when it comes to jazz stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't know why, but anyways, according to Wikipedia, this song was actually recorded in 1949, but it wasn't released till 1957. Right. Yeah. Which I think is kind of interesting. It just shows how different that music was at that time than it is now, because they used to go to the studio and just record song after song after song. They, you know, they'd record dozens of them. And then pick them afterwards, and whatever made it made the cut, and whatever didn't gets uh, gets released later on at a uh, 
like the long lost album of Miles Davis or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know exactly what came about to make it come almost 10 years late. I don't think this is one of those that was recorded when he was just, he sat down and did three albums worth for, uh, for what you call it before he went to another record deal um, that was going to pay better <laughs> and he could move and all of that. I, I don't think it was there, but it's still, um, it, it came from a completely different time period to when it actually released. So maybe that's why it's called birth of the cool because it, it wasn't predicting something that would happen. It was just referring to something that already did that through the fifties, the cool jazz was happening. And this song is part of the birth of that. Right. I don't know. Miles Davis was always ahead of the curve when it came to musical styles. Well, sure. But he also played constantly. So he was probably playing this style all through the fifties. And it's just, this is when it got put on right. a record. They're probably playing right. it in the clubs all together all the time. That's true. It's interesting yeah, that Gil playing. Evans helped with this though, because he was kind of the, uh, the classical Western, the foundational yet very odd helper mm-hmm. for Miles because Miles was obsessed with uh, like Charlie Parker and um, and all those guys of the bebop time, and then Gil Evans was kind of the other end of it that pulled him back and then. Um, worked with him on sketches of Spain, which you wouldn't exactly consider that being pulled back, but it was music theory wise and uh, thought process because right. Gil Evans was more of a classical musician that, I mean, I guess you could call him classical, quote unquote, in the modern Western sense, because you can obviously hear that in sketches of Spain, that it's very experimental. And mm-hmm. yet here he is credited for helping Miles write this one which is anything but (laughs) classical Western. Yeah. It's always interesting to see when people branch out of their typical musical fields. Yeah. Dude knew what was up. I'm not saying that he did. (laughs) Oh, no, not at all. Yeah, he he definitely was uh, very talented and knew what was going on. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's best known at this point. I mean, he's best known for his stuff with Miles Davis. That's what oh, yeah. most people yeah. think of him, but I know that's what it wasn't his background necessarily. Right. I think one thing that we wanted to do with talking through this is we don't just want to focus on Boplicity itself. We also want to talk a little bit about how we approach a real book chart so that you can develop your own method with approaching these songs. So yeah, we're going to focus on Boplicity itself and talk about the ins and outs of this tune, but this is also the way that we would handle anything we take out of the real book. So the next mm-hmm. time that we talk about these songs, we might drop a hint, but we'd probably just say, come back and listen to this because we'll probably just give vague mentioning of this stuff and do like double features on songs and things like that. But this time we wanted to talk about the way that we open the real book and see a song and say, Hey, that looks cool. I haven't played that before. Why don't I learn that? Or maybe I heard a song on the radio and I was like, Hey, that's awesome. I'll remember that, that tune and then go look it up in the real book later. And then that's when I see it and we'll rather say, Oh my, that chart looks like a mess. I don't feel like doing that today because I'm lazy. Or I'll say, Hey, that's not so bad. And I'll pick up my guitar and spend about five hours on it. But the first thing that you want to do to learn these charts is to attempt to sight read the melody. You don't have to do Mm -hmm. it fast. You don't have to do it to a metronome. You don't even have to do it perfectly. Just take your time and just play through it. Just test the waters on it. See if you actually like the song um, when under your own fingers figure out like the little problem areas, what, what might be tricky about it. So Boplicity immediately in the first line, you're going to get to the fourth measure and those weird intervals I was talking about, that's where it's going to hit and you're going to be like, whoa, oh, okay. This isn't just a normal stepwise melody. This hops around and that doesn't lay very comfort, comfortably under the fingers. So 
just just take note yeah. of it. But you don't have to master it yet. Just take note of that as you play around with it. Yeah, and it's okay to go through measure by measure too. Like mm-hmm. if there's a song that you really want to learn for some reason and it's you know difficult, like uh, when I was trying to learn Donna Lee, my right. goal was just to learn the first phrase. Right. And I didn't care how fast I did it. I just wanted to learn it. So then the next day I played it again and I played it faster and then I worked it up to speed. So I just learned just that one phrase at first and then I added another phrase after I could play the first one. Precisely. Yeah. So you, the sight reading part of things, I don't I don't even mean like play through the whole entire thing. No, 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 no. no. Just like go through an overview, a general consensus of the song take little pieces of it and then in when you actually start to practice it then take it piece by piece some standards you'll literally play the very first time you look at it something like boplicity you probably need to take one piece at a time like separate it into sections but save that for for later right now we're just kind of going over everything with it and then you can just kind of mark those spots don't mark your real book print out a different one because believe me you want a blank copy <laughs> um or do it with pencil so you can erase it yeah exactly yeah and um you'll notice with boplicity as you look at it that the b section uses that complicated part of the a section with the weird intervals and then it elaborates on that so now it takes that and uses that for the idea and then makes a little variation of it in a different key so you now know you can kind of sequence that if you separate that off. Like you play it in one spot and then you play basically the exact same thing just a couple steps down. Well, actually, a step down. But um, you can just start to see those little things. And, of course, you should notice the A section ends on a sharp 11. That's important. It'll sound weird and you might be like, wait, what? Why? But... Trust me. Yeah, it's not it's the wrong, wrong note. It's it the feels right like one. it, but it's not. Yeah, embrace the wrong. And the notes. cool thing about jazz too is you really you have to learn the A section, you have to learn the B section. You don't have like a hundred different things to learn for the song. It's the A section, then it repeats, and then the B section, and then you play the A section again. So really, that's what sixteen bars of music to learn, something like that. Um, yeah, it's probably, like 16 yeah. bars of music to learn. It's, so it's really not that hard to learn the head on it, especially on a song like this. It's a more laid back tempo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the intervals are a little weird, especially for a string player. So if you're on guitar or bass, it's a little strange. But yeah, uh, for someone else, it's different. Those intervals aren't aren't nearly as odd on a piano, but for us on a fretboard, it it's weird. It's a bit stretchy. Your mm-hmm. 10-year-old kid student that for some reason likes jazz probably cannot play this up to tempo. Not yet. <laughs> and if they can, they're probably better than you. <laughs> this, this is true. They, they might be better than you because that's that's some fast little hands. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy what some kids can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of them really catch on pretty doggone quick. <laughs> All right, well, this song here, I actually remember when we were learning this with our jazz combo in college, Matt. Mm-hmm. Do you remember, this was before the new music building was built. We were having our rehearsals up at the Circle, and we broke off into sectionals one day. I can't remember why, uh, but you and I took the um, the other rhythm section guys, and we were working on this, and it was a challenge. Just to, to stay everyone together, yeah, because yeah, we were trying to get a lot of people playing the melody at once and together. Mm-hmm. And in, uh, yeah, and unison, it wasn't so. even just because of that part of it, but just people trying to get it under their fingers. It was not as easy as everybody had just assumed it would be. Because when you hear the song, you know, it's not a. It doesn't sound difficult. No, so I it think does everybody not. was surprised. Yeah, it doesn't sound difficult and it sounds slower than it is because of that relaxed and calm texture to it. The cool jazz part of it 
makes it sound like, oh, this is this isn't that fast. But once you start playing it and sight reading it, you realize those notes go by a lot quicker than you thought. That doesn't mean you mm-hmm. play them harder. It doesn't mean you play them louder. You still have to play with the proper uh, approach, the technique to it. Of course, you could play it with a harsher approach if you wanted to change the style. We're not saying that you have to play it the way that Miles did it. But if that's what you're going for, the way that Miles and that cool jazz style, it goes by quicker than you think. So getting that finesse over all these notes so that you don't overdo them and handle them with a bit of a legato flair, then you have to be ready for it because it'll blaze by you much quicker than you expect. Right. You know, it was also funny to me about that day is that the bass player was kicking everybody's butts. (laughs) 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 Anyways. All right. Um, Yeah. So we, we talked about going over sight reading through the melody, taking your time through it. Um, the next step to learning this song, it would be to play through the chords on there. Mm-hmm. So sometimes when I'm playing, I actually will do that part first because as a bass player, I'm not going to play the melody in sure. the band setting most likely. Now, that does not give bass players a pass to not know the melody. Mm-hmm. You yeah. really should know the melody. I mean, the song is built off of it. There's so many times, like in the bass line of Boplicity, you can throw the melody in in the bass line and multi- on multiple occasions and it sounds really really good yeah, yeah so it's not a pass for bass players to not know it but sometimes i do depending on the tune and how long i have to learn it and if i know i'm gonna have to play the melody at the gig or not i'll learn the chords first depending sure. um yeah but it, it kind of depends on the situation but anyway so yeah you want to play through those it gives you a really good idea of where the song is going and how it's laid out and how it feels because the melody on its own, especially on like Boplicity sounds a little weird because there's no support for it. Yeah. So yeah. adding all of the chords in there really makes a difference. But this melody definitely follows its chord progression. So that's why the first time that you play through the chords don't, go wild with a bunch of subs on yourself. Mm-hmm. Like just play through the chords. If you do extra extensions, whatever, I mean, play the correct extensions, I guess, but just keep to what's on the page. That way you'll actually be able to hear the key moments in the progression, the important parts of it. And if there are extension markings there, like a, like an 11 or 13 or things like that, don't use, well, I don't know that shape as an excuse not to go learn it. Because a lot of the time, that right. extension, especially in a real book, is borderline required. That like That's very important. Anytime you see an extension in a real book, that probably means that's what you play there. And that's a big old red flag saying, hey, 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 this isn't just a seven. Like, sure, you could just play a seven, but really this melody... And this calls for this right here. So don't miss out on it because usually the real book is just Mm -hmm. a bunch of sevens and they expect that you will elaborate on that with subs and further extensions and, and all, all the other things that you can do with a progression. They, they know that you'll do that. So they keep it simple. So when you see something that's not simple, take notice of it. And this one especially has a, um, a seven sharp five in it, so an augmented chord or an altered, however you want to say it, and it has a major seven sharp eleven. Both of those are really important to mm-hmm. the melody and the progression itself. So you don't want to ignore those and just play a seven and just play a major seven, because harmonically those two moments are completely crucial to the improvising, uh, matching the melody. And if you don't play the sharp five and you play the five and you're in a group, someone's going to play the sharp five and whoopsie do shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Then it's like two Rams fighting over another one. It doesn't make any, it's <laughs> going to be chaotic. It's going to butt heads and somebody's going to crack their skull open. <laughs> that Charlie Parker might really throw a symbol at down. you. 
He mastered it after he got one thrown at him. Yeah. Oh, that's true. I always mix that up. I always think he's the one that threw it. Because I could see him throwing a, a symbol. It sounds like something he would have done. I just think all jazz musicians should have a class that trains you to throw symbols like Ninja Shuriken. Like and then they should have another class on how symbol. to dodge them. Yeah, exactly. Like They train you as to, to go out into the jam sessions and defend yourself. Or what they could do is... What if uh, someone starts playing the blues? Right. You, you got to stop that. <laughs> <laughs> or what they should do is audition for the classes and then they put you... All it says is symbol throwing and it doesn't tell you if you're going to be in the class that teaches or it's learning how to throw them or how to dodge them. <laughs> it could be symbols 101 and if you're good, they'll put you in the throwing one. If you suck, they'll put you in the dodging one. <laughs> they take a, a raffle at the start. <laughs> <laughs> if you can learn to dodge a symbol, be- you can learn to play extensions. <laughs> <laughs> that's the if best way to fix them. someone that's playing too square. Throw a circle at them. <laughs> yeah, throw a circle. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. And if they're really square, you might have to throw them uh, throw a, a symbol at them that has the circle cutouts inside of the circle. Good gracious. You're really rubbing <laughs> in the point there. Just trying to get away from the squares. <laughs> Just don't throw it at their fingers. Throw it at their legs. Barely anyone needs Something those. Something that they can live without. Yep. <laughs> their head, you know. <laughs> the nose, maybe, if you get really accurate. Dead on. Oh, my gosh. Knee Shave off an inch or two. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to sharpen the edges of your symbols first? Of course. You're going to be like batterings. How's it going to stick into the walls behind them? Like you got to throw a warning shot first. You can't be that cruel. I don't know. I guess it depends what the offense is. Well, if it's the drummer, you can always aim for them. (laughs) 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 But they got a bunch of little shields around them, so. Okay, so strap a grenade to it first. (laughs) 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 That'll show them. I'll show you turning the beat around. <laughs> tink, tink. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, okay, well, that went there. <laughs> Here's a burner for you a Molotov. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What were we talking about? We were talking about how to play the chords of Boplicity. Oh, yeah. Oh, look at that. I also um, forgot that there's an E flat. So, oh, well, that's just a 7 sharp 5. Okay. Never mind. Ignore me. <laughs> the, <laughs> the thing with Botplicity is all those chords that have the extensions on them, all of those extensions are in the melody. Yes. So, it, there are, and Botplicity is not the only one like that, but it's especially strong there. So, yeah, that's part of why you want to look through them because you want to make sure you're not leaving out notes and causing symbols to be thrown. Yeah. Plus, you will get used to those extension shapes, and then that can translate over to when you might turn this into a chord melody. So it's always important to pay attention to those because a lot of the time it'll stick the melody note right there on the top, and then you don't have to do anything else when you turn it into a chord melody. It just helps. Of course, all the other chords you have to right. do fancy stuff with, but at least you got one spot that's easy. <laughs> the hard part <laughs> is now easy. Right. And then the next step is the fun step. Now, some people would argue that this next step really should be first. I guess and it they would be wrong. On, yeah. <laughs> I guess it depends on the song or whatever, but the next one step would be to listen to the song. So, yeah, you'll you'll go back to the other stuff, but I think it's very, very important for the sake of your own training musically to work on your sight reading, to work on your chord reading, and to actually uh, practice feeling around for a proper accompaniment based on the melody and not to just base everything off of what you just listened to. A lot of the time, a, a lot of us that are pretty decent musicians can play by ear pretty doggone well. So as soon as you listen to a song, it kind of violates 
the whole process of sight reading because mm-hmm. it revealed half of it to you. It, it told you the rhythms and now you right. don't have to pay attention to them anymore. You just knew them. Now you just have to read the notes because you heard the rhythms and you can replicate that instantly most of the time. So for some people, that's tricky. But for me, as soon as I hear the song, then I can put it right onto the page. That's why it's good to start with the sight reading and to go through that stuff, look for the problem sections. And then when you go listen to it, you'll have trained your ear on what you thought the song was. And you'll be able to hear the little differences that those old legendary pros put onto it because the real book usually simplifies rhythms. So they might have done some weird sev tuplet thing at some point that no one wants to write down and no one wants to try to read, but it's easy to play in replicating it. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's that's a really good point for why you should um why you should try to play through it first. The other thing is the, the argument for listening for to it first is that jazz is an aural tradition, A-U-R-A-L. So it's based off of listening to greats before you and building off of that. But what we're suggesting does not actually does not get rid of that idea. No, it just means take it, it, just take it on it first slightly. yourself for just a couple minutes. Like I don't mean spend a full practice session on those first two steps. I mean spend like 10, 15 minutes. Just working on it yourself and getting through it and analyzing it a little bit visually and just getting a good idea of it. Then go listen because you're going to need those skills from those first two steps and you're about to return to them after you listen to it anyway. It's just you'll go back with a new vision after this part. Exactly. Yep. So when you're listening, Matt, is there anything in particular that you're listening for? All the things, my friend. All the things. First, all the things that Miles Davis are. Um, <laughs> okay, now we're annoying. Um, so the first thing that I tend to look for is those little changes. And right. I think it's it's important to figure out which recording was the quote unquote original or the most popular. Like what what is the the number one of that standard? Because that'll that'll help you know what everyone else probably has heard that wants to play this song. The so definitive you, collection. Yes, yes, the <laughs> definitive version. So the, in this case, the Boplicity recording from the birth of the cool is probably this the standard no pun intended for learning boplicity and as you listen to others you'll know for sure that it's the standard for learning boplicity because barely anyone changes it um you want to listen for the changes to the melody like i said you want to listen to every single individual player all of them not Mm -hmm. your part not the part you might play on an off day, everyone, the drummer, the bass player, especially, right. you definitely want to listen to the bass player, no matter what you're playing, yeah, but listen to the drummer. The drummer is definitely more important than you think he is. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's not more important than he thinks he is, but no, 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 no. But he's more important than you think he is. Of course. Um, <laughs> obviously listen to the lead players, quote unquote, lead players, the horns, um, or whoever's playing the melody. Um, You definitely want to hear the accompaniment, especially if you're the guitar player or the piano player, because that's going to give you all sorts of ideas of what changes are really being used, Mm -hmm. what rhythms are being used. And a song like this, it, it can be tricky to know how do I accompany these odd syncopated rhythms in a way that makes sense and isn't corny or square and get a symbol thrown at me. So you want to really pay attention to that, especially because when the solos come around, someone has to play the chords and someone has to make them sound good. So yeah, you want to know a good way to keep that cool feel. It's going to be you. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. That's going to be your job. So you better get it right. And right. uh, 
a lot of the time you'll hear in the bass like a uh, a pedal tone. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's always a cool thing. We talked about that before. It's fun. It's cool. Again, no pun intended. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so after you really go over that standard recording, the definitive one, then that's the point where you move on to listen to other recordings. So just click around whatever program you use, iTunes, Spotify, Google, YouTube. YouTube probably isn't the best for this because you'll just send you down a rabbit hole of other stuff. But uh, I never use YouTube for exploring music. No, the cool thing about YouTube is you can find all the live recordings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you want the live recordings, go ahead for that afterwards. But I think... um, it's easy to click around to other stuff and you want to focus. You don't want to get distracted. So use whatever program you do and look for something different. With Boplicity, you will go through 10,000 versions that sound exactly like they're trying to be Miles Davis. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not... Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not a bad thing. You should um, work on... They're never going to sound exactly like him, but they're going to try... Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. They're going to try to imitate a lot of what he did. They're going to imitate what the horns do in the melody when they sound all next to each other. And that's going to be most of it. But that's not really what you need to listen to because they're just trying to imitate something that you are trying to imitate. So, yeah, you might find a version that sounds good. You might listen to how other people navigate the solos. That's good. But what you're looking for is something new, something different. Um, it might be switching to a Latin style. It might be switching to a fusion sort of a thing. It might be a acapella arrangement. All There's all sorts of different ways that a song can get arranged that you'll find mm-hmm. in these programs. And you pretty much just want to look for what is missing. What do you feel right. is missing? What do you feel is a really unique way to approach it that might inspire you and your personal approach of course you want to learn to play it like miles but why not find the way that you'll play it miles is notorious for later in life never playing his early music and when people would ask him about it he'd just be like man that was what i was feeling then i don't feel that anymore i feel this now (laughs) and so he changed with the times based on his preferences and he was always morphing into something new and trying out new things and he wouldn't go back and play his hits. You could just go listen to the records. That's pretty much what he'd tell you. He'd be all, no, that's not how I play now. I play like this. So take the inspiration from the real true blue thing and learn all you can from it, but start to form your ideas of how to turn this into your voice. How can you have your boplicity? Right. And um, that's why I have a couple of alternative recommendations, at least that I saw on Spotify. The first one that I saw was Tim Wellvars. I don't know how to pronounce that. There's two A's. This one was a really cool one. Tim Wellvars apparently played harmonica for Stevie Wonder. I think it's a Kenny Burrell and a couple other names. And this arrangement was really unique and something special. And you should check out the album that it came from because it was pretty doggone cool. There's a cool uh, version of Giant Steps on there. And some nice guitar, some Israeli guitarist that now I forgot his name, even though I just looked it up. It was like Shay something. Shay Aviv, I think. I can't remember what you said it was either. Yeah, uh, it's whatever. a really cool recording. Yeah, yeah. There's cool stuff happening. It's not a clone of Miles Davis, where the next one sort of is. It takes a lot of the style, but the double six was pretty cool. It sounded nice. It was a uh, a vocal uh, well, yeah, not really so acapella. That it was, it's kind of like uh, the, oh no, I can never remember the names. The Manhattan. Manhattan s- Transfer. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I can never remember it. Uh, it's like, it's like that. So they have a rhythm section playing for them, but they sing the melody with a bunch of silly syllables. And those are always fun. And they seem to do it really well. There is Ari Honig, which now I don't. Well, oh, 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 like- oh, I remember that it was a, uh, a slower tempo, uh, guitar lead. So that 
it, it's nice to find like the quote unquote ballad version of songs. You can find a lot right. when you find that one, even if it kind of stinks and is boring, you still want to listen to that version of it. Cause the Miles Davis one, like we said, it's around medium, but it goes quicker than you think. So it's good to find a version of it that really hangs on all of that dissonance and see how someone navigates that. And it tells you maybe what not to do sometimes or what you could do. And the other one was Tony Perry, which was like a bluegrassy kind of rendition with his own original lyrics to it. And it was very silly, but it makes you smile. It's the kind of thing that's just a completely original take on a standard that you can't help but totally enjoy because it's masterfully handled It's not disrespectful. It's just, it's real nice, real nice. Yeah, it it was fun. Like as soon as I hit play on it, I couldn't help but laugh because it was just a fun, fun one to listen to. He definitely has a good sense of groove. That's for sure. Um, That it felt good, and that's always important. Um, That's usually what I do. Is I'll I'll hit the button, see what does it sound like in the first couple seconds, and then jump to the exact middle of it, see how it's feeling around there. Most of the time it sounds exactly like the Miles Davis recording. Not not note for note. I, well, I would hope not note for note. That would be sad if someone completely transcribed a recording. Not to mention that. a copyright infringement. Yeah, that would be very, very <laughs> naughty. Naughty, naughty, naughty. But... <laughs> Anyway, uh, you might find different stuff on on Google or iTunes. This is just the stuff I noticed on Spotify because that's my forte of music exploration. I'm sure that there's all mm-hmm. kinds of live stuff on YouTube with um, amateurs trying it out or, um, you know, just thousands and thousands of versions you can go explore. And once you take all of that into account, that's when you start to think, how can you alter your approach that you already had because you already tried playing it. You already played through the chords. Um, What were you doing wrong? What were you doing right? Mm -hmm. What do you want to change? What do you want to completely change of it? (laughs) If you got some really weird ideas when you were listening to it, there's a lot that you can do now that you've heard it. Now that you've tried it, you can now put it under your fingers and you're probably going to play it a lot better than you were at first. Because now right. you've kind of started to assimilate it into your mind. You're really into this tune. You're getting where the emphasis is and uh, where the accents are. Because a lot of the time, the real book doesn't have such a thing as accents or staccato or things like that. They just omit all of those markings. But now you can put them there. <laughs> right. Yeah. And like as a, as a rhythm section guy, I think the reference recordings give you so much because you don't have any instructions on your on the page for how to play your rhythm section accompaniment not even one i mean sometimes it'll say the tempo marking and that's about all you get yeah so i think that it is very important and you learn so much like i really like to play botplicity and play the a section in two so i'll play on beats one and three for the baseline instead of play a regular walking line and then to switch to a walking line throughout the rest of it. But I didn't come up with that on my own. I got that from listening to other recordings of it. Right. Right. So I think that you will learn so much more than you can even expect to learn when you listen to a bunch of different recordings like that. Yeah. It tells you all the different textures it tells you the mm-hmm. things that don't work. Like there's, there's always going to be a couple of arrangements that you hear, and maybe it's good to somebody, but to you it might be like, ew. Well, I know not to try that out now, and it saves you time. <laughs> yeah, a couple of seconds of hearing and recording, and you now know. Okay, well, I'll never try that out because that will save me the embarrassment of being like, let's let's do this as a burner. And then suddenly you get into it and you're like, this is kind of gross. I regret this. And I'm sorry, audience. <laughs> yeah, like we can't, uh, we can't burn this song. We should burn this recording, but this song itself is not going to burn very well. <laughs> no, it's not very flammable. Not yeah, like the drummer I, I when you throw the Molotov. I think... I think it's important to learn from what other people have done, especially... In the jazz world, like we said earlier, jazz is an oral tradition, so it's 
you're not really going to grow as a musician in jazz unless you are listening to other people do stuff. Right. And you just go and um, nom, 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 all, all the recordings up, take all the, the, uh, the words mm-hmm. that they are speaking to you with their notes, uh, take it to your instructor, try it out with your buddies because they might have a different take on it. They might have heard something that you didn't find on it, or maybe they've played it before in a different new way. There's all sorts of ways that you can use this, uh, an, that oral tradition approach to really find your own way with the song. Because I think right. eventually you should always get a song to the point that you have your way of doing it. Like it's mm-hmm. it's the way that you want to do it. Yeah, maybe like you and a couple of your buddies that all find the same way that you all love together, but it's still like this is your way of having that tune. And maybe it's a ripoff of something like maybe your way really just is honoring Miles and playing it the way that he did. That's fine. That's good. It's amazing. It sounds incredible. Like (laughs) play it that way. It's awesome. But Mm -hmm. maybe you find something else and you bond with that song and find your own path through it. There are ways that I play. Have you met Miss Jones that, like part of me feels guilty for playing it the same way in there, but it's just, there's so much, so many memories in playing that song that I, I don't Mm -hmm. want to play it a different way. Like I want it to be the way that we played it in round Jericho. And that's the way that have you met Miss Jones is the most important to me is the way that we used to play it together. Right. And the memories attached to that song, black Orpheus, Originally, it was just a, a bossa nova. My way turned into the the gypsy jazz arrangement that merges uh, Jenga Reinhardt's minor swing with that feel. And they go from there and it quotes Django in it. And that became my Black Orpheus. And that's my default, quote unquote, way of playing that now, even though I still love to play Black Orpheus as a bossa nova. It's still gorgeous played that way. So as you assimilate these ideas into yourself, you're going to become friends with the song, essentially. You're going to develop your own relationship with it. You'll learn to hate parts of it. You'll learn to say that uh, you'll pull the West Montgomery and Arigen where you cheat part of it because, well, he probably had a much better reason, but he made it easier he made mm-hmm. Arigen e- easier on himself where when I play Arigen, I actually try to play the full melody and I like it. It's tricky as butts, but I like to pull it off. And maybe yeah. in Boplicity, you'll get to the ba 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 and you'll cheat it. I don't know. <laughs> you might do that. I cheat my way through Spain yeah. because the ba ba da ba da ba da ba 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 it requires a finger style and I don't really like how it sounds when i switch those styles in that part um there there's a bunch that you can do along the way that you'll learn that some note not every note that's on the page has to come out of my instrument maybe somebody will play it but i'm not gonna (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's just your way of navigating it right and remember too it's still important to keep the uh the reference recordings in the back of your head and still be able to play it that way because sure. if you go out and you're sitting in on a gig, I guarantee you they're not going to call it the same way as what you like to play it as. Exactly. Like so this you is should... your way. This is when you're in charge that you get exactly. to play it. You don't get to tell the guy that hired you, but I play it this way. I don't know how to play it that way. No, 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 no. You don't get to say that. You get fired. You get the symbol thrown at you. You uh, are rude. <laughs> exactly. You, you have to be able to play it to the point that you will be able to play it the way other people want to as well. And you have to be able to bend that way. That's part of the the tradition that you have to be flexible and you can't be demanding on a specific arrangement because that kind of violates the whole point of jazz that you're going to go exactly. out there and play things in new ways. You may maybe never thought of you'll play things in the classic way. You might go somewhere and they don't want to it played in the classic way at all. So that's why you want to consider new approaches because there are some people out there that if you play it the way that the definitive 
version is, they will not be happy about that. They will not like that. They want new. They want different. They want you. They want the way that they will do it. And they're probably just some artsy fartsy dude that's like Andy Warholing it up and just wants to be cool. But you're going to encounter all of that. So you have to be flexible. You have to be versatile. You have to be ready. So dive into it. Learn to play all the notes. Mm-hmm. And, and that leads us to the next big boss to tackle because now you know the chords. Now you know how to play the notes. But now you get called on to improvise. And can you do that? And this is friend? where it gets really fun. Yeah, this is, the, this is the fun part. This song is an absolute blast to solo over. It gives you a lot of options and a whole heck ton of freedom too. Because it's already harsh, so harsh song equals harsh playing. So you can be really, 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 really naughty, and you're going to get away with it, and it's going to sound cool. Um, <laughs> and how how does one do this harsh playing, Tommy? How how does one do? So if it's in the key of F, so in order to make it sound r- harsh and fun, you play in the key of B the whole time. Well, that would definitely do it. (laughs) (laughs) Then you hit the sharp 11. (laughs) You certainly do. You've based everything off of the sharp 11. (laughs) (laughs) No, don't don't really do that, guys. That's going to sound a little uh, tritone-ish. I mean, it better sound tritone-ish because it is a tritone, but... You could get away with be mixolydian or be dominant for two beats... In the B section. So if you play in B yeah. the whole time, you will be right at one point. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> or you could just play seconds. just a B note the entire time. Oh, I'm sure people would love that. People get away with that. Eventually, someday, at the end of the A section, it is. Oh, man. No, so this song harmonically is not uh not that complex it's really not that bad like when you think of how harsh it sounds you think oh it must be like giant steps where it's going to kick my butt as soon as the solo is called not really it's really not that bad yes it just it changes keys but you really do have a lot of freedom and a lot of space on the changes and it hangs in those you do have to pay attention to the extensions Sure. Yeah, of course. Because those are pretty important. Like your first, uh, your first three bars are all in the key of F. So you have a two one and then a two five one, and all in the key of F, which mm-hmm. you know easy enough. And then you've got a two five to B flat for the next two bars. You have C minor, then F seven sharp five, but you have that sharp five. So you got to remember, you can't just play a D natural there because it's going to sound not right because your melody note is supposed to have that D flat there. It's also like the key note right there. So you might've just thought, well, if I'm going to play harsh, then is the D the right choice? You could do that, but that D flat or C sharp, however you want to look at it is really, it's an important note there. So you more so want to play around that Mm-hmm. Instead of playing around the D, because the D is the wrong thing, and then then you're mostly just me- it, it'll sound wrong. That's that's the problem is it'll sound like a mistake even if you meant to do it. So yes, you can fix it, but I wouldn't use that as your mental approach to that spot. I would say focus on that D flat being there, and it's it's only right. it's only well, for a moment, but. Just take note. The other thing, too, is you just got to open your ears. I mean, if you discover that your accompaniment is not playing the D-flat, well, then you can know, okay, maybe the D-flat isn't the best choice there. There's also the thing right there is it's about to go to B-flat major 7, so the D-flat is about to turn into a D-natural. So Mm -hmm. you're basically playing a note early. So you've kind of violated the progression if you hit the D right there. 
Right. So it's not going to be the end of the world if you do play D natural. In it, fact, yeah, it might sound really hit. It, it better be like right. on the, the later end of beat four, like anticipating yeah. the B flat major seven. Like, I'm not going to get to that bar and be like, oh, D natural and just wail on it and just <laughs> hold it for the whole bar. Cause that's, that's a little weird. Uh, but you know, if you play it, it's not going to be that big of a deal. It Do might be a really realize nice though effect. that 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 bar starts melodically on a D natural, then a D flat That's true. to a C. It has a little chromatic dissension, which is a lot of this song. It's just realize that it can't be a D the whole time. There's there's chromaticism there that's happening. Right, that's true. There's a lot of chromatic motion. And not even just from note to note in the melody, but if you look at the top notes of the melody, they like kind of follow a, an arc. Mm-hmm. I mean, like your first bar, your top note is a C natural, and then you're going down to an A, and then an A, then a C, then a D, then a D flat. So it's kind of just following a nice slow arch in the of the top notes, the melody. And the top notes are what you're going to re- remember the most. It's what sticks out to you because it's the highest pitch. So, right. um, but then after you get to that B flat major seven, the next three bars or the next two bars are back to F major again. Mm-hmm. It's just two fives to F major. And then the very last bar of your phrase is your F major seven with the sharp 11. And the sharp 11 is just really important there. I wouldn't play the sharp 11 through the entire phrasing, like through the entire A section. I don't think. No. Only because that B natural is going to clash with your G minor and with your F and with your C7. So it's going to clash with and with your B flat. It's going to clash with every single chord up there until you hit that F major 7 sharp 11. Well, it's also spoiling the payoff. That's true, too. Like you, you can build now, that doesn't up necessarily, to that Exactly. But I don't think that you just want to plan on, oh, I can't wait to get to that point so I can hit that B natural. No, that's not what you're that's doing. That's not necessarily that's the, the best. Yeah, exactly. And it can sound really cool. I might hit it in that just to just to say I did, depending on how the phrase that I'm building reaches to that point. Uh, but so then you repeat that whole thing. That's the beauty of jazz. <laughs> you learn it <laughs> once and then you repeat it. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, A section is all the same stuff. And then you get to the B section, which the B section is pretty cool. You're, basically, your first four bars are all in the key of B flat, but not really. You got that same thing where you have the sharp five before you go down to the B flat. Mm-hmm. And the F7 sharp five. And then instead of doing a, uh, then it's got a, a tritone sub. Instead of a 2-5 to B-flat, it goes from 2 to flat 2 to 1, which right. is just really cool. It's got your substitution chord already written in. You have less work to do. <laughs> um, so what I would try to play over that sort of thing, personally, is probably some sort of sequence lick. So some sort of line that works well over the C minor 7, and then bring it down a half step, or at least bring the the root note down a half step so it works over the B7 as well and then bring that down another half step to play it over the B flat seven, B flat major 7 uh, that's probably what I would do is something in that line just because I think that the sequencing sounds really nice and then what I might consider doing too the, so the next phrase is basically on A flat major 7 so I might play over B flat major 7 for the first bar and then play over a, a major seven, even though it's a B flat is what's written as a more, as another sequencing thing down another step to get down to the A flat. Mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty, especially if you were, if you want to do something crunchy, I think that's a pretty cool idea. You just got to be careful with it and that you don't want to just like say, okay, I'm just going to take my, you know, C sharp and I'm just going to hit that C sharp right now and just hold it for the entire measure. I probably wouldn't do that, but there are people out there that would, and it does sound kind of cool. I mean, that's something that, honestly, you might hear like a Michael Brecker type of guy do because he loved that dissonance. He would take those dissonant notes and just wail on them. Mm -hmm. 
that's just not my taste, especially as a bass player. I've noticed that when I try to do that, I end up not the a lot of times the band ends up losing their spots behind me, and so then nobody knows what's going on anymore. So I've learned that it's easier for for me as a bass player to stick closer to the uh, the chord progression, right? But you know, like I did that sequencing thing on that Charlie Parker tune "Scrapple" from the Apple at my recital, and that was pretty cool. Just basically, instead of going up a fourth for each chord, I went down a half step for each chord. <laughs> And so the chord that was being played was a tritone away from the the notes I was playing. So it can be really cool. You just got to be careful not to overdo it. Uh, the second phrase of that B section is basically all in A flat. You got the basically it's the same exact thing, just down a whole step. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you have that E flat seven sharp five, which is you know, the same exact thing as the F seven sharp five, and then B flat seven, then the A seven. So you have your uh, tritone sub again in that second phrase of the B section there, and then it ends with a two five one or two five bringing you back to the head again for the right. A section. So if you break that down, you can kind of think of it as the B section is four bars in B flat, mm-hmm. and then four bars in A flat with a two five going right. back into F. If you really, really break it down to the sim- simple stuff, of course, you'll want to employ chromatic use along the way. You'll want to make sure that you're paying attention to those crunchier chords in that progression. But yeah. in the end, it's ju- it's really just following a chromatic descent. So if you keep that in mind, you certainly have options and you can still think of it as this is in B flat. So, in other words, don't play an F in that part. You're not in F anymore. You're in B flat. It's just there's a mm-hmm. bunch of crunchy crunchiness along the way, and it does go by pretty quick. So you don't have to stress out about hitting every single little thing. Just think B flat, but bebop, and then A flat, but bebop, and then it goes back into F again. And um, I think we should mention that with the F major seven sharp eleven, which comes up at the very end, um, you'll probably land around the end so that it can transition back into the head or to another soloist. But the F, F major 7 sharp 11, you could just think of that as playing in the key of C major. You could think of it as mm-hmm. F, F Lydian, if modes are the language that you speak. That The F major, the major 7 sharp 11 just means it's the 4. That That's the extension that means it's a 4 of something. So F is the 4 of C or it's a Lydian mode. Or you could That's take true. a different approach where you use a diminished scale, whole, whole tone scale, some Arabian scale from who knows where, whatever. What I mean, don't play pentatonics there. But you can still take a different route, but the major 7 sharp 11, that, that's what it means there. So it's not F major 7, it's a different key right there, which is why it sounds so harsh. And you can take that's true. You can have a bit of fun with that spot, but that's how you navigate it is realizing it's just C major. And then I can go yeah, from there. That's true. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. Which I, remember eventually, is very close to F major. So you probably want to do something beboppy or whatever right there because all the other notes line up. Right. And remember too, when you're if you're have bebop in mind the whole time you're gonna play you play this. You'll probably be okay because bebop, if you're playing a proper bebop solo, you're using chromaticism, you're using upper structure of the chords, and so you're automatically paying attention to things like extensions because it's bebop. So if you keep that in mind, you'll probably be okay. Right. I say probably because I don't know what you are going to do. I don't know you. (laughs) You might totally flop. You might pass out from stage fright. Even though we talked about that in early podcasts, so you better go and listen to that, buddy. Yeah, if you deal with that, you know, go back and listen. Plugs. We are plugging our old stuff. <laughs> That's how we got to do. We're just little humble podcasts. At least we don't have hair plugs. Ew. <laughs> well, that's okay. That's all right. Not old yet. Uh, right. We're getting there. Now I like we got old a long music, ways to go. I'm not old yet. 
Yeah. Old music and old people are very different. Indeed. You might think they're not, depending how old you are listening to our podcast, but hey. Anyways, all right, guys. Well, thank you for listening to us. If there's other songs that you'd like us to break down, let us know. Uh, in the description, I'm going to put links to all of the songs that we talked about or all of the, the reference recordings. Uh, I would post a picture of the um, of the sheet music, except that's probably not allowed. Yeah, I mean, you could... Yeah, I, I wouldn't bother. If you look it up on Google, you would find like preview images, but otherwise you would have to get the chart or buy a real book. This one specifically, whoopsie, it's in real book volume one. So if you get the very first real book in C or whatever instrument you have, then there you go. It's in there. That's where it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so take a look at that. That will help you. It's been a really good tool for us. You don't want to rely on the real book for everything, but it is a very helpful tool to help you grow as a musician. You can learn a lot of good things from it, like sight reading and whatnot. So anyways, um, so again, remember guys, we do rely on you guys for support to help keep the podcast alive. So if you're interested in helping us out, head over to our Patreon page. The link will also be in the description and uh, check us out over there. We do things like we give away, well, we, we do early access episodes for our patrons, uh, Q&A sessions, that sort of thing. So go ahead and take a look at those and, um, and see if any of those fit something that, or, or what, some, fit you or something you'd be willing to help us out with. So uh, as far as listening recommendations, I think we just gave you a whole bunch, so I don't think we need to add any extras this week. No, I don't have any on top of my head anyway. I've been listening to yeah. publicity. <laughs> exactly. That's what we've been doing. So anyways, guys, all right. Well, thank you for tuning in and listening to us. If you have other songs you want us to know, want us to do for you, check, uh, let us know. We'll, uh, we'll be glad to look into them for you. So anyways, we'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.